Hey, this is Sandy. And Randy. And we're here on AT Corner. Being an athletic trainer comes with ups and downs, and we're here to showcase them all. Join us as we share our world in sports medicine. Welcome back to another episode of AT Corner. For this week's episode, we are closing out Mental Health Awareness Month by talking about burnout. I think the best part about this episode is it's pretty all-inclusive. If you are feeling burnt out now, if you have felt burnt out in the past, if you want to prevent burnout, or if you know someone who's burnt out, this is the episode for you. We're going to be talking about things that you can do to recognize burnout and act on it, which is my favorite. And at the end, we'll talk about a downloadable burnout emergency action plan that Erica, our guest, put together specifically for athletic trainers. I mean, what's more athletic training than an EAP. Right. Like that, that's just epitome athletic training. So I feel like this is going to be pretty rocking. So who is Erica? Erica is an athletic trainer, strength and conditioning specialist, Reiki master, and breathwork and meditation practitioner. What is Erica not? (laughs) I was going to say, I feel like she's hitting all the spectrums. She graduated from LIU Brooklyn with her MS. And in the past 16 years of her career, she's worked in D1 collegiate sports as an adjunct professor in outpatient PT, as a clinician and in corporate, and at a boutique sports medicine clinic as a clinical AT and the strategic clinical manager. Just last year, she started her own business, the Notorious ATC. So without further ado, let's hear from Erica. Let's do it. All right, so we got to do it. We got we to gotta do some cryo breakers. Just get this, uh, get the ball rolling. So our first question we always start with is, what made you become an athletic trainer? So I think like a lot of athletic trainers, it started when I had an injury. I actually was majoring in something completely different. I wanted to be an environmental journalist, and I was majoring in PR and communications. And I was suffering from shoulder injury. I had been a swimmer. And after going to PT, I was working with an athletic trainer there, and learning about the profession just made me want to do that. I had thought about PT um, and I kind of saw all those other settings that weren't sports related. And I was like, I don't know if it's for me. I don't think it could be in the clinic all day long. Um, And when I realized what he was doing, uh, he was like splitting time in the PT clinic and at the high school. I was like, maybe I can do this. And so I switched. I mean, I transferred colleges, I changed majors and then I haven't looked back. How interesting that you actually met an athletic trainer through a PT clinic. That is, I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, super cool. Yeah. So kind of along those lines, you know, you've been practicing for about 16 years now, you said. Mm -hmm. So our next question for you is what is your athletic training spirit animal? And this for our new listeners is a modality rehab tool, tape braces, et cetera. Anything, any tool of the trade that represents you as a clinician? So I think it would have to be, I know everybody has their own brand that they love, but like a power flex. Um, Cause number one, I like the idea behind it, right? It's like strong, but it's flexible. And that's what we have to be as athletic trainers. So I feel like that's probably more than one person's spirit animal out there. Um, but also it's so multifunctional and it's definitely something I've used to kind of wean my athletes off tape jobs. You know, those people who are always afraid to like give up the tape. Um, it's so light. It's so flexible. It gives them just enough support. Um, it's kind of like Dumbo with the with the feather to me um, <laughs> and helps them kind of really get to trusting their body again. So I love that. Power Flex is also my oh, yes. spirit animal. <laughs> love Power Flex. So one of the best things about our podcast is 
with our education, we also like to pair stories because there's definitely a lot of learning that can be done through story time. So do you have a story about a time in athletic training where you felt burnt out? I have many. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I think at the time, maybe I didn't know I was burnt out. I would have described it as like maybe like frustrated or exhausted. Um, and probably the word that I would use all the time was like, I'm just feeling really overwhelmed is something I would say a lot. And then into overwhelm went like exhaustion, anxiety, like frustration, all the things. Um, that was kind of like my like collective catch all term. Um, and I would kind of describe it as like, always kind of the story would come out of like the straw that broke the camel's back, right? It had been like building, building, building. And then, you know, you're trying to get out of the athletic training room, all your appointments are taken care of. And then that one athlete who's your last appointment ends up showing up an hour late and they're a post-op and you know, they need to do their session. And, you know, I, and I would end up missing, you know, plans with friends or something important and feeling so resentful. And anytime I felt resentful, I knew that was kind of a symptom of what I now would call burnout because I really loved what I did. I loved my athletes. I loved my work. I loved the setting I was in. So anytime I felt resentful, I knew that was, that was kind of it. So to kick off our topic, I think that that was perfect. And, and we, if you guys have listened to the episode right before this, we actually just shared a bunch of stories from athletic trainers and their experience with burnout. Um, but we brought in Erica today to talk about burnout specifically. So Erica, could you explain to us what is burnout? So burnout is actually, uh, I feel like it's being talked about a lot more now, but it's a pretty recent like clinical assessment or clinical diagnosis. It wasn't around until like the late seventies, I believe 1976. And um, it was described as having three components that can potentially be a part of it. So one is emotional exhaustion. And these are things you guys might identify with out there. Uh, one, if not all three, emotional exhaustion, um, depersonalization of your patients and um, decreased perception of your personal accomplishments. So that's kind of like the perfect storm if you have two out of the three or even all three occurring. Um, and, you know, this applies across the board to many helping professions and medical professionals. Uh, but it's estimated that about 20% of athletic trainers at any given time are suffering from at least one of those three symptoms of burnout. Oh, man. That is surprisingly not a surprising statistic. No, and when I was listening to your the episode that just aired, Randy, I think um, you were talking about like taking the step back and getting like super clinical and not as like personal, right? So when you're feeling burnt out, so that's that like depersonalization piece. Um, and that's that's really common. And I think that's something that uh, even if you don't realize you're doing it, like your coworkers will, will realize that it's happening. Uh, so even though the other ones might be actually more common, I think that's the one other people can, can recognize, which is important. So going off of recognizing uh, when you see burnout, how does burnout present in most athletic trainers or what you've seen in your experience? So it can be anything from, I mean, I think the biggest thing is seeing a change in personality, um, whether it's that they're withdrawing a little bit. A lot of times people get um, much more introverted. Um, and for me, I definitely would withdraw and become a little bit more task oriented as well. So I think my athletes or my coworkers would know, like my tell was I would go and make the heel and lace pads 
right? <laughs> Nobody is ever going to bother you. Nobody ever wants to help make the heel and lace pads. So if I wanted to be left alone, like that was what I was doing. Um, or maybe I would go and like do inventory, right? Um, things that nobody else would ever want to help with. So there's there's definitely that element of withdrawal. Um, sometimes just getting uh, like snappy with athletes or with coworkers um, and just kind of not being their normal personality. And obviously there can be other things going on that would contribute to that as well, right? But if you're kind of matching up those symptoms with maybe an increase in somebody's schedule, whether it's the amount of injured athletes that they have or what their travel schedule or game schedule looks like, uh, you might be able to put those two things together. I would say all those things, I feel that. <laughs> so a lot of those things that you were talking about too are not in our control. And actually, when we when we put up on our Instagram stories, we were asking people, what do you do when you when you start to recognize these symptoms of burnout and you do want to figure out how to prevent that those feelings a lot of people actually answered that they should take time away from work and yes that can help sometimes but that's not always an option especially in athletics <laughs> yeah exactly could you imagine if your team's going to playoffs and you're like i just can't i'm sorry can't do it today <laughs> i won't be there um so erica how do you manage your time when time is not in your control so I think this is actually one of the most frustrating things about advice that we get for burnout, because we see this happen with other professions. Like if you were to Google, how can I manage burnout? That's absolutely one of the things that would come up. And then it kind of makes us feel even worse and more frustrated because we're like, oh, here's the thing I know I'm supposed to do and I just can't do it. Um, and it contributes to that cycle. So what I have found works for me and what I would teach anybody is not so much to think about time management as energy management because you can always uh, be in control of your own energy and where you're putting that and how much of that you are giving away and this is not to say don't give 100 percent at your job because uh, i think that's something as athletic trainers we're really proud of that we show up to work and we do give 100 percent um but if you are giving 100 percent, you have to find a way to refill that for yourself and replenish that and that has to happen on an ongoing basis. So it, you know, for some people that could be a hobby or getting a massage, but we also have to recognize that taking time to do things like that, we might be able to do that once a week or once a month and that that might not be enough. So we might have to find little ways, almost like putting a puzzle together of how to replenish ourselves so that we consistently have that 100% to give, but also more coming in. A lot of those categories can be, you always hear it thrown into as part of the self-care. You know, when people talk about, oh, I'm feeling burnt out, the first thing they talk about are tools to, oh, you need to work on your self-care and stuff. How do you figure out what kind of self-care works best for you? So I think it's about finding the things that um, bring you joy and that make you feel replenished. There's I think in athletics in general, there's kind of this work hard, play hard, and that doesn't work for everybody. It works for some people. But one of the things that um, happens in burnout that we actually see is we do see decreased sleep. We do see increased alcohol use, um, any other recreational substances, right? Those are all things that kind of are coping mechanisms and they aren't always the healthiest coping mechanisms. So the work hard, play hard model might not work for everybody. And so it's really figuring out, okay, what are the things that fill me up? What are the things that make me happy? And you might not know. 
and it's okay if you don't know. And I encourage people to kind of go back to what made you happy when you were younger? What kind of things did you like to do? And then how can you transfer that into your adult life? So I, I mean, I, I think the same way about fitness, right? If somebody is having trouble sticking to a workout routine, if they don't love it, they're not going to do it. They're going to do it to get a result. And then after they get the result, or if they don't get the result quick enough, they're going to quit. And I, I feel like self-care is the same way. So if you're not enjoying it, it's and it's not sustainable, you're not going to continue with it. So you might have to think back to like when you were younger, like what did you really love to do? Did you love going on hikes? Did you love dancing? And then, okay, how do we incorporate that? You know, that's something that um, you're sharing your own personal experience. And my personal experience with burnout is uh, when I start to, to get more stressed out, I, I kind of pull back and I'm a little bit more numb. And so self-care is actually something that's really difficult for me to want to do because I, I really don't want to do anything. And so um, there, one of my mentors shared this self-care wheel with us that was um, really cool because, and we'll, we'll put this up. Um, we've actually shared it before, but um, we'll put this up in our Facebook group. Um, basically, it's a self-care wheel that gives you ideas of what self-care is in each category. And I don't remember the categories. It's like psychological and and physical and, and different things. So basically you can just pick from a list. And so that's helped me a lot because I don't want to do anything when I'm burnt out. So I think that's a good way to find self-care. So I'm really starting to gather when we talk about self-care, self-care, the best analogy is always a wheel. We have the self-care wheel. And then Julie Max talked about the spokes on a wheel for, um, time management and work-life balance. I think I made a wheel reference last episode too. Man, we're all, we're <laughs> one more wheel. We might have a car. <laughs> I'm glad you brought it up as far as like recognizing um, struggles with work-life balance and burnout amongst colleagues. And there's a lot about being supportive about your work-life balance and stuff. How do you go about being a self-advocate for yourself amongst your coworkers and your supervisor? You know, we talk about doing that to administrators, but what about fellow ATs that may not be as sensitive to something like that and maybe have an old school mentality? Um, so it's, it is really hard to lead by example because there is a lot of like guilt and shame and blame around taking care of ourselves. And what I find so interesting about that is that we are so used to being an advocate and an ally for our athletes. So for example, if you've ever been through a preseason where there's like three a days, you've probably had a moment where you had to have a conversation with a coach, like that your athletes are maybe being pushed a little bit too hard. Maybe something needs to be altered in the schedule. Um, you know, maybe an off day needs to be like restructured, maybe uh, recovery work has to be built in somewhere. And we're quick to go to bat for that, but we don't go to bat for it for ourselves. So I would do like a check in with yourself and say, if I was an athlete, how would I be advocating to a coach for this? And then do I do that for myself? Am I honoring myself the way that I treat my athletes? And, th and that really is it. If that's your standard of care, why are you not treating yourself with the same standard of care that you treat your athletes with, right? And if you're presenting it to your colleagues in the same way that you would present it to a coach, are you going to get pushback? Sometimes, absolutely. But do you get pushback from an old school coach? 
Absolutely. And you still persevere because at the end of the day, you're the advocate for the athlete. And so sometimes we have to be an advocate for ourselves, for our students or for our colleagues as well. I love that analogy because I feel like a lot of times we, especially when we as athletic trainers get hurt, we talk about how we're our own worst patients. And you can, you can take that and transfer it over to what you were just saying we are probably not doing as good of a job as we should be as being our own advocate. And if you just switch that role, I love that analogy. I've never heard that. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's important. And I I think it's also important to realize that like, it's a, it's a proven fact. And actually the journal of athletic training um, did a whole, I think they looked at a subset of 51 articles on burnout. It was published last year, um, April, 2020. And they found that burnout does occur across all aspects of the profession. So I think it's also important to acknowledge that because when we talk about the guilt, shame, and blame, there's like a lot of, you know, discussion between the different settings as that, you know, it's an expectation almost that collegiate athletic trainers or high school athletic trainers will experience burnout, but that people in other settings won't. So I've definitely heard people say like that they left the collegiate setting, um, expecting to not have burnout moving into a PT clinic or into being a professor or something like that. And it's important to acknowledge that it happens across the board in all settings. And sometimes it's more about um, some of it is what you're going through personally. Some of it is your workplace, uh, but it's not setting specific. Um, How much do you feel is this lack of wanting to advocate for yourself because of the narrative that a lot of athletic training students get when they're going through their programs. One of the things that, you know, athletic training students are always told is like, Hey, you're going to, there's going to be days you're going to work long hours and you know, pay is going to be bad. And they point out all these negatives, which are realities in some settings, but not all settings of athletic training. How much does that contribute to those students feeling like, Oh, I have to tough this out to be a good athletic trainer. A ton, a ton. And I had to like check myself on that um, maybe like two, two and a half years ago. I was having a really honest discussion with some of my grad students about this and about how I was in a job that a lot of athletic trainers are asking me, like, how do you get a job like the one that you have Um, as if it was something to like work up to? And I wasn't really happy in my job. And I was kind of trying to figure out what do I do next? Where do I go next? And I was explaining this to my students and they were really taken aback and their kind of pathway that had been shown to them was like, you go into a sports setting, you grind until you're worn down and then you go do something else, Um, which I was horrified by that. And then when I was creating my burnout EAP and when I was talking to athletic trainers, one of the other things that I was that was really hurtful to like see is that athletic training students already are burnt out between their academics, their clinical rotations, um, everything being placed on them. A lot of them are working part-time jobs, the commutes, they're already burnt out before they're getting into the profession. And the expectation is that that's just going to continue until they can't take it anymore. And then they have to do something different. And that, that was really hard to listen to. Yeah, we definitely got a lot of student perspectives um, messaging us and telling us how they're already burnt out. And so they were, I mean, it was nice to see that they were reaching out, but also a little bit 
disheartening seeing how many students were in that position. Yeah, I one of the articles that I had read on burnout um, showed women in athletic training leaving the profession at a median age of 28. Wow. <laughs> and that was shocking to me. Uh, and then they this particular article um, said that men tended to last longer in the in the profession, but in their mid 40s would move from a collegiate setting to something that was considered like easier work. Um, you know, and not all the studies show that, but that one, I, I was pretty taken aback seeing that one. That's shocking to think such a, such a low median age, because like putting that in perspective, you know, you know, Sandra's not too far off from that age. And that's just crazy to, to think that that's and the I'm median. I'm just starting my career. Yeah. Right. And it's, you know, again, then a lot of times it defaults to people being like, oh, well, um, you know, if you really love the profession, you wouldn't leave, or like people are just selling out or people are using athletic training as a stepping stone. And so again, it comes with this like shame and blame, uh, which I think is really not the way we should be looking at it. Like we should be older ATs in the profession should be taking a hard look at it and seeing, okay, if that stat is true, if that's shown across multiple settings and in multiple research, then you know, what, what are we doing wrong? Why is this happening? Um, you know, and, and what can we do about that attrition rate to make athletic trainers have some more career longevity? Because when you think about the amount of time you spend in school, right, there's nothing wrong with leaving the profession, but to put in six years and then realize within, you know, your first four years that this isn't what you want to do. You've spent a lot of money. You've spent a lot of hours. Um, and it's really heartbreaking. It's a really hard decision for a lot of people to leave. Do you think that, I don't know how to word this question. Basically, what I'm trying to ask is, do you think that all burnout can be solved? Or do you think that some burnout is inevitable and needs to change a profession? Does that make sense? I think it's all right to quote like Marie Forleo, everything is figure outable, but different solutions for different people. Um, and, and that takes some introspection the same way it does to learn like what brings you joy and where you can find peace and where you can fill up again. Uh, sometimes it's having those really honest conversations with yourself and having you know, a coworker or a mentor to bounce those ideas off of and figure out which strategy is it going to take for you to get out of that place. So I feel like this might be like a easy question or like a redundant question, but how do you battle that that guilt and shame from maybe other other colleagues if you're doing something for your self-care or you've gotten to that point of burnout and you are looking elsewhere. And like you said, that's where that guilt and shame come from. How do you combat that? Like how, how do you have that conversation with someone that might be feeling that way towards you? So I think it starts with that conversation with yourself and the question to ask is super simple. It's just, um, is this true for me? Right? Because I think a lot of the things that we've kind of taken on maybe aren't even what we believe there's something that has put on us by other people and it feels like it's true because it's being told to you and you have to say like 
rather than being combative, just, is this true for me? Is this my experience? Um, knowing that you're looking right. If I am looking through a different lens than you are, and again, just compare it to like care, right? If you're an athletic trainer and then there's a chiropractor and then there's a massage therapist, they're treating in different ways. Is anybody wrong? No, they're using the lens of what they learn to see the case and they're going to treat according to that. So I can only see with my lens, you're seeing with your lens. Um, but then we can sit down and have a conversation when we acknowledge that, okay, we're coming from these two different viewpoints. What you're saying might be true for you, but it is not true for me. And this is why. So actually, that's a perfect segue to speaking about lenses and how working with coworkers. I know you touched upon this before. When you're working with a coworker who might be exhibiting signs of burnout, how would you approach that? You know, it's definitely part of it depends on your relationship with the person. Um, but one thing that I would really caution people is to, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first, right? Because we are, again, we're a helping profession and we tend to be givers. Uh, we tend to maybe be overachievers and we tend to be hustlers. So if we're not in that burnout place and we see somebody else is, our instinct a lot of times is to like dive in and pick up where we think maybe the slack is or how we think we can help them, right? So whether it's covering a shift, helping out with their team, but then sometimes what you do, it's like triage, right? Now, uh, so like I, I used to teach the undergrad class with like CPR and there's always that part where you assess the scene, right? Is the scene safe? And if it's not safe, I don't approach, right? Why is that? Because then by the time first responders get there to help, now there's maybe two victims instead of one victim and you're making their job harder. So sometimes when we dive in to help somebody else who's experiencing burnout and we take that workload on us, all we're doing is setting ourselves up for that same situation as well. And now you've got two colleagues who are struggling. Um, so I think we have to be an advocate for them, go to bat for them and be there as their support system. But we might have to take a step back from that natural instinct to just be like, let me help take your workload so that you can recuperate. And I think knowing that, like what you were saying, um, you can also turn around and see what your own perspective is if you have a coworker who is noticing your own signs of burnout and what they might be feeling in that situation. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So something that we haven't talked about yet is self-talk. And self-talk is so prevalent in contributing to burnout, I believe. Um, what role do you think that it has in, if it, if it has any, in contributing to burnout? And how do you transition negative self-talk to a more positive self-talk? So for me, self-talk uh, is a really huge component. And I actually did, um, it's called a sadhana, but it's basically like a self-study or, or practice for yourself. And so I did 21 days where every time I said something negative to myself, I like wrote it down in my like notes app in my phone and the act of typing it made me realize like, wow, this is what I'm saying to myself. And then the other component of it was that I had to like switch it to something positive. 
And it's not always making uh, a negative into a positive because sometimes there's just negatives that you can't like necessarily like make into a positive. So um, a good example a lot of times is to use gratitude. So let's say like I'm on my way somewhere. Um, I'm based in Brooklyn. So let's say I'm on my way somewhere and I get stuck on the subway and it's like crowded and it's hot and now I'm delayed. I could get super frustrated and start complaining in my mind about that situation, right? Or I could be like, I'm so grateful that I have such an easy commute on the subway and I don't have to like sit in traffic every day and pay for a car and pay for insurance and pay for parking in New York City. Um, so that's like a gratitude practice and that's an interesting way to approach it um, that works for some people. The other way to approach it is to think the way that you speak to yourself, would you speak to somebody else like that? So if you just kind of take a moment right now and I'm sure we can think of something like that you've said in your head to yourself today or yesterday, that's maybe not so kind and think like, would I say that to my best friend? Would I say that to a child? Like if I am on my way somewhere and I make a wrong turn or I'm about to like cook something in the kitchen and I realize I've forgotten an ingredient at the store, be like, oh my God, I'm so stupid. How could I forget that? But like if my roommate forgot something at the store, I would never be like, you're so stupid. How could you forget that? Right? That's just like... So we're a lot of times not very kind to ourselves compared to how we would treat somebody else. So that's a question you can ask yourself. Would I say this to somebody else? How would I say it to somebody else? And you can make that switch. That makes a big difference. I like that. That's that's pretty good. Um, one of the things that I remember from like sports psych and stuff was in, in regards to self-talk, when you're trying to make that transition to uh, positive self-talk, it, it has to be something that you believe. You can't just say like, oh, I'm great. Well, you didn't say it very convincingly. You got to believe what you're saying in order for it to actually be positive self-talk. Totally. And this, but this is why like in burnout, this is such a problem because like I was saying before, right, it can be emotional exhaustion. It can be that depersonalization, but that third component decreased perception of personal accomplishments. So now we're just in this kind of vicious cycle, right? Because the one thing that, or or one of the things that keeps us like loving our profession, I know for me, is you've worked with somebody for, you know, anywhere from six weeks to six months, and you're getting them back off the sidelines and into the game again. That is a huge personal accomplishment from, for them. And I think it's a huge personal accomplishment for all of us as well. And when you start to lose that perception, um, always feeling like I'm not good enough, I didn't do a good enough job. And I was kind of hearing a lot of that in the podcast that you guys just released, right, where people were saying, like, I had multiple concussions, or I had this many injuries in a day, in a week, in a season, we just start to feel so depleted, we start to feel like nothing that we do is working, nothing that we do is good enough, how do we keep these kids on the field, how do we keep dealing with parents, um, which then makes us emotionally exhausted, which makes us want to take a step back from our athletes. And, and so it is kind of this continuous cycle. And there are some interesting kind of components or causes of burnout that really like feed into that as well. So I don't know if you guys want, we can talk about those. Um, they're, they're pretty fascinating when you think about them in relation to athletic training. Yes, I'd love to go into that. Yeah, for sure. So I know you, you know, we, we mentioned um, some of the kind of stereotypes, right? Long hours, low pay. I think the the politics of athletics, if you work for an athletic uh, in an athletic setting, 
can certainly be a contributing factor. Uh, also, if you work for like a big company, right? Sometimes there's politics in that in terms of like maybe who gets what shifts and who gets promoted and, and things like that. Um, Work-life balance, also a big one. But there's another really interesting one called role strain. And I don't think that one gets talked about enough. But the way um, in the Journal of Athletic Training article, they listed, I think, five components. Um, one was, so they're all about how you see yourself in your role. So one was role ambiguity. And I think this happens to a lot of young athletic trainers. They're not really sure what they're supposed to be doing, right? They know they're supposed to be there to take care of their athletes. But all the other things that come along with a job, they might not really feel like they have a good understanding. Some of that has to do with hierarchy. Some of it has to do with whether you work under the health department or under athletics. So there is a lot of ambiguity there. Another one is role conflict. So this can happen. I'll give you the best example. This happens sometimes when people have athletic training students. So I think we all know athletic training students can be an amazing help, but you also have a certain commitment to them, right? Your commitment to be able to teach them, to be able to fulfill what they need to fulfill in their clinical rotations, um, the work that they have to do and bring back to class. And so sometimes the demands of your athletes and the demands of your students may be like competing needs. So I know for me, when I was working in the collegiate setting, that definitely was a contributing factor to burnout for me because I felt like I never was giving enough to both sectors, right? And then like talking about a tipping point. So like, I would think, oh my gosh, I have these great evals coming in today and my students are going to get to do so much. And my students would be like, well, no, but those are all ankles and I need a shoulder. I'm just like, you know, and that would just be like my last straw, right? Um, but I think there are sometimes those conflicting or competing factors where both need attention. And sometimes you have to make a choice. And no matter which choice you make, you feel like you're not doing a good enough job. Um, overload, right? Where you're just, your time and your energy that you have available doesn't match the amount of work that you're expected to do incongruity. I think this is a huge contributing factor to burnout and we don't talk about it, but this is when like your own personal values are not in alignment with certain things you're being asked to do at work. So the easiest example is thinking about if you're being pressured to have a certain athlete return to play when they're not ready. Um, but I think there are a lot of other situations where this can happen. And then uh, the last one is incompetence. And that sounds like a bad thing, but it's not really bad. It just means like you're not prepared for what you're being asked to do. Um, so sometimes roles might be described as entry level, but they're kind of putting a lot of other things onto you that you haven't been trained for yet. And so I, I think I see this come up with a lot of athletic training students who are about to go into the field and they, they're kind of feeling unprepared or like they're unsure, they can't fulfill certain needs beyond the clinical. Um, so all of those are would fall under what's called role strain. And that is a huge contributing factor to burnout that I don't think gets discussed a lot. You know, all those things that you said, I can't help but think um, back to imposter syndrome. I feel like that and imposter syndrome just seem very similar. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I know you spent a lot of time on the burnout EAP and uh, I got some time to look at it and it, it seems pretty awesome. I'm, I'm really excited to see how I can implement this in, into my, my own practice and myself. Uh, but can, do you mind explaining your burnout EAP? 
Yeah. So basically I came up with the idea for it, um, back during national athletic training month, I really wanted to do something to give back to athletic trainers and I burnout had been on my mind. It was something I struggled with. I was like, you know, like I've been in this profession for over 15 years and it maybe is only the last like two years that I've really gotten a good grip on some of the things that we're talking about now. And I just don't want other athletic trainers to have to <laughs> take that long to get to where I am. Um, I, I want them to have the tools that I had to like learn the hard way. And so I was thinking a lot about burnout and kind of the way that it's presented and just the advice that's given that doesn't seem to apply to us. And I was like, athletic trainers just need something different. Um, and so I'm going to create an emergency action plan because that's something we know how to use. Again, we know how to implement it for our athletes. We know why it's important to put it into play and absolutely every component of an emergency action plan, we can break down in terms of burnout and energy management and then, you know, start from there. So again, it's only as good as the way that you use it, right? So you have to implement it. You have to check in with yourself. You have to identify an emergency when it's occurring and know to put it into action immediately. Um, and then at any point in time, it might not fit anymore and you might have to go back and change it. And that's okay. Yes, this definitely serves as our action item of the day. That yes. my, my very favorite part of our podcast are <laughs> our action items. And as soon as I saw that Erica had this EAP for burnout, I knew that we had to reach out to her and, and bring her on and, and share her expertise with you guys because um, this burnout EAP is very simple to use. Both Randy and I have checked it out. Um, We're going to put a link to for you guys to download it. Um, so please go check that out. It is literally written like an EAP, like Erica was saying. Yeah, and and we definitely want to say uh, thank you, Erica, for the you know discussing this because all the every athletic trainer hears about burnout, and you you get the simple tools of like, well, here's how you combat it. But I think what's very unique about this conversation that we're having in the burnout EAP is you made this digestible for athletic trainers. You spoke, you, you spoke our language and, you know, you made it everything so friendly to the athletic trainer that I feel like I now have a better idea of how to handle this, this issue in myself. Thank you. That, I mean, that makes me so happy to hear because I just think we are, a profession that really needs this and we're a profession that's maybe not spoken to in a way that we can actually implement right and like i said that just is so frustrating and just kind of makes things worse and then you just think this is how it is and you know yeah you get the time off finally right christmas break or you're in sports the summer and then you're like all right i've replenished they can do this and then maybe we don't make the changes that we need to make and it just sets us up to repeat that whole cycle again the next school year until you know we hit that point and then we're like can I do this for another year right and then summer comes and we replenish again so I want something that for people to use in the moment to take that down so they really like never are reaching that point and if you're getting close to there then you know you implement it and maybe there's more sustainability there for you and more happiness and more success. I think sustainability is a very big word in preventing burnout because Absolutely. you can 
do something that only works for a little bit and it's that it, it's just that it's only going to work for a little bit but if you find something sustainable for you then you can pre prevent that burnout for longer periods of time 100% and and just to piggyback on that actually like when I'm saying sustainability I do mean for like our like emotional and mental health right not sustainability in the profession do I want of course I want athletic trainers to love the profession and stay in the profession but again it's not a bad thing if you leave the profession or you realize it's not for you um there should be number one there should be no shame around that but you know it's so interesting even um in looking back at burnout when it was originally kind of came up in in the 70s as being a thing around the medical profession one of the key things that you always hear about burnout is that it decreases work quality Okay. Is that true? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. It's true. But again, that is patient or client focused, right? So we're saying like, wow, there's a huge problem. There's something like really awful happening to our healthcare professionals. And that's important because it decreases patient care, <laughs> right? It is. It, it does decrease patient care. It is important. Of course, we care about our clients and our patients, but like there's a, a missing link there. It's important because our emotional health is important regardless of how it affects somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about getting those priorities. Yes. Good luck uh, getting an athletic trainer to focus on themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I think I speak for ourselves and all of our listeners when we say thank you for your vulnerability and showing up today. Yes. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So like you said at the beginning of the episode, I think one of the best things about our conversation with Erica was everything was so action oriented. It gave you a lot of tools that you can use right now to start identifying if you're feeling burnt out, if a colleague or friend is feeling burnt out and what you can do about it and what, what are the tools at your disposal. So like we said before, all of the links are going to be in our show notes. And if you don't know how to find that, just scroll down. If you're watching on YouTube, just click more on the description um, there you can find Erica's website and social media, um, Notorious ATC, and you can see what she's been up to, including downloads or workshops made specifically for athletic trainers. Also, as a bonus for this week, we have a, on our YouTube an extra clip from today's podcast that is really worth checking out. That is how much material that we had. <laughs> we couldn't even fit in the episode. We had to expand to bonus clips. And if you guys are new, we want to let you know that every other episode is education or stories. This was an education episode. Next week is stories. So head over to our Instagram at AT Corner Podcast and head over to our stories to see what our upcoming topics might be. And you can submit your stories to be featured. Lastly, if you want to connect with other listeners of the show, head over to our AT Corner Community Facebook group. There's only one question to get in. It's how did you hear about our podcast? The link is also in the show notes. So you have anything else to add, Randy? Nope, that was perfect. Thanks for helping us showcase athletic training behind the tape.